Now, I want you to get ready for an enlightening and informative conversation with Deborah Maldonado, the Chief Administrative Officer of DirectMed Clinic, with more than 30 years of experience in healthcare and management. Deborah is a highly respected professional in her field. Her qualifications include an AAS nursing degree, a BS in healthcare management, and a master's in healthcare administration, making her uniquely qualified to lead DirectMed Clinic's success. Uh, Deborah, Deborah's creative problem-solving mentality and calculated risk-taking approach have been instrumental in managing the clinic's daily operations since she joined in 2018. Her extensive experience and knowledge make her a valuable resource for the healthcare industry. So we're excited to have her on our show today to share her expertise and insights with our listeners. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I get to collaborate often with that. Well, actually, I used to collaborate often with her and lately it is more Andrea, who is also here on stage with us. And I can tell you that whenever Deb says something, it always makes me really understand that she has years of experience in insights into nursing and how it impacts patients, but also businesses. She cares a lot about uh, the community. So I'm very, very happy to ask the first question to Deb. And that would be, how do you see the role of nurses evolving in the healthcare system and how can they be better utilized to improve patient outcomes and the overall functioning of the healthcare system? Well, thank you very much, Sankar, and I'm really excited to be um, here today. And thank you for your question. Um, I, the role of nursing has evolved uh, in the over many years, and of course, um, uh, we've always had uh, nurses with the such as in direct primary care in hospitals and healthcare institutions at the bedside um, case management. We've had now they're called frequently navigators. Um, they have further developed um, to be involved in in, in um, establishing nursing standards and quality of care. Um, and then furthermore, the role of nursing has really even further involved to include um, things such as uh, contract negotiations with insurance companies. That's one of the things I've done. Risk management, even forensic medicine, uh, research educators, occupational nursing, and of course, leadership roles, especially in the C-suite. Um, but most recently, I've become very in, uh, engaged in, a, in an area that uh, I have found very fascinating, and that's informatics. Uh, informatics um, has the uh, opportunities of analyzing information, um, being able to be involved in designing uh, what that looks like and implementing it. Um, it's, um, it's a great structure for a model of uh, healthcare that uh, I currently am involved with uh, as it relates to direct uh, primary care. Um, the organization being Direct Med Clinic. 
Uh, and it really has taken it to taken nursing into a to a totally different level, in my opinion. And I think that's where I see a, a, a huge opportunity for nurses to to further develop uh, their expertise and, and and use their expertise in further developing this whole concept to in order for us to be able to uh, meet the patient's goals. Um, and that's a real challenging thing. And one of the in meeting that goal, what one of the things that we've developed here is what's called care journeys. And later on, I'll tell you all a little bit more about that, but I just wanted to kind of um, hopefully answer your question as it relates to the overall question. Yes, absolutely, you did. And I'm so excited. Um, what was the, the word info? Uh, it's in informatics. Informatics, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, and um, yeah, definitely, if you want to tell us more about what you had planned to educate us on, that would be a good moment now. Well, wonderful. Um, one of the things, uh, in in um, and you were very gracious by just saying uh, 30, over 30 years, it's going close to 40 years, like by maybe six months <laughs> in nursing and in healthcare. So thank you very much, Hank Clark. But um, I've always been in the hospital setting, in the inpatient care setting. And not until 2018 did I jump into something so totally different that I was not used to. And that was in the outpatient setting uh, and uh, being in a, a uh, doctor's office doing uh, helping with primary care. Um, but the model itself just uh, of Dr. Muchigamba, who is the medical director, the owner of the clinic, uh, I was just so enticed with with his model. And I was actually doing some um, consulting work for him when he finally just said, can you just come on board? <laughs> and so it's been a, a very exciting time. Um, at the beginning, it was really challenging because I felt like a lot of there was nothing um, that was available uh, in the community and, or nationwide that really could help further develop the model that he envisioned uh, for the organization, really shifting the way you look at healthcare, and um, and it really comes down to the to our primary goal that I think in nursing we and and in healthcare in general we always want to achieve and that's uh, positive good outcomes for patients but doing it on a financial platform that is sustainable and I don't think that we have that right now um, we have a lot of models traditional models that kind of retrospectively look at things. Uh, quality indicators, um, but it's not something that you can make adjustments as you go forward when you're looking at outpatient type of care. Now, in, in within the uh, uh, the healthcare organization uh, inpatient setting, uh, I was always involved in in. think has the opportunity to really make a difference in patients' lives and in the community uh, because it takes it to a different level. We're looking at, at patients' care plans, and what's even more difficult is just trying to shift the mindset for, 
for patients or for pe- the community from being going to the doctor only when you're sick and really looking at it, let's do it when we're well so that we can stay healthy. That was so um, evident during the pandemic. Um, a lot of the questions that were being asked of us was, you know, the management of chronic diseases. And, um, and so those by itself, you know, if we could even impact those slightly, you know, then we, prob- we should be able to have a healthier community and be able to really help uh, patients um, uh, become healthier. But that's not the mindset of our healthcare industry. It's really, in, in fact, insurances, they don't pay you necessarily much for health. They pay you for sickness. And so that really um, is a, a, an interesting way when I came across this on, on how we could make an impact by being able to track patients' medical information um, develop care plans, what we call journeys. And this is really new. Right now, it's in development. Literally, right now, we are putting this together. It's being designed. There's nothing in in the United States that I know of that is really doing this. This is really, truly um, new, and and, and, uh, and it's, it's going to take us to, like I said, to a different level. So you really have the chance to, in your leadership role at RecMed Clinic, to impact uh, what what you do, what you all do with that clinic in a very meaningful way. So at this point, I'm really interested. I'm going to call on Michelle next um, because she certainly has a lot of experience in this field. Um, but before I let her speak, um, again, I would ask all of you, if you haven't already, Please share the room so we can get some more people in. We do have seven awesome listeners. Shirley, Akbar, Timothy, Mariana, Dr. Kelly, Maria, and Kajat. So definitely uh, awesome to have you here. Um, And so click the three dots at the top and then we can hopefully get some more people in here. Michelle, um, I had a question for you prepared, and I think you know what it is. Is can you discuss the importance of nursing leadership in the healthcare system and how nurse leaders drive change and inno- innovation in the field? So I think that really um, is a question that works well with what Deborah has just shared with us. Michelle. Sure. Good afternoon, everyone. And um, hi, Deborah. I know we've met. Um, yes. One other time in person. So this is great to see you on a small screen, huh? <laughs> Very small. Um, so um, thank you, um, Shankar, for um, that question. I have had a lot of experience. I'm, I'm also in the 30 plus 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 years um, of um, nursing leadership and in a variety of settings. And outpatient was one of them. Um, and most of it was um, in the acute care um, forefront. And really, when we start looking at nursing leadership positions and how nurse leaders drive, um, their main focus is um, really to drive quality outcomes and be um, the advocates for, for patient safety. And that is becoming more and more a strategic role. As we see um, when we do hire nurse leaders, whether it is in um, 
outpatient or or other other types of settings in acute care. Um, we are looking for a minimum of a master's degree right now, whether it's in nursing or related health administration field. And for the top level of a chief nurse, they really like to have a doctorate in nursing practice or or a PhD. And the reason for this is that it's it's the higher level of really understanding organizational change impacts how organizational change and nurse leaders impact the health of the of and wellness of not only just the staff but of the community. And um, one of the things of this culture of safety and quality within um, many times we drive and actually drive the development and implementation of evidence-based practice standards of care. And I know that when we look at some value-based purchasing and looking at um, decreasing urinary tract infections in a hospital, one of our main focuses as nursing leaders is that we cannot have patients get sicker while they're under our care, meaning that they should not be developing an infection that was created by being in a hospital because of poor protocols and standards. And the facilitation of this is very strategic. It's um, a goal set of what we want our reduction in infections to be. Um, nurses play a part in partnering with um, quality departments, partnering with the physician, and also partnering with um, IT as well as informatics nurses to get the best knowledge about this infrastructure of creating this culture of safety. Many of times we're also part of innovation where there are some um, new devices, um, new equipment out there that suggest that we will be able to um, look at you know, vital signs differently, continuously monitoring of vital signs. The astute nurse leader is going to be looking at the entire functioning of that hospital. So for example, give you a specific example, we wanted to bring in, um, and we actually did implement this, um, consistent vital signs because it was going to save time for our nurses, particularly in night shift, and also time for the patient to not have to be disturbed you know, every hour um, post-operatively um, during the night. So we wanted a continuous monitoring system. But at the same time, as a nurse leader, I found that we were also having patients come to our med surge floors and then within less than maybe 24 hours have to be readmitted to our ICUs. So I wanted to make sure that the devices that we were bringing in and the procedures and protocols actually were decreasing the failure to rescue, that's a term we use, where our nurses knew immediately before anyone else that our patient was getting into trouble. And so one of our innovations was to um, trial this continuous monitoring it was non-invasive, but trial this on one of our busiest medical surgical floors. And we found that we decreased readmissions to the ICU by 20% within the first six months. So this is the type of innovation that we have been called upon to really perfect and to really get across. The other thing is to have excruciating team facilitation, being able to speak and walk the talk um, and also really understand the patient-centeredness. And more and more as we look at the acute care and how it can combine with the outpatient practice sites, we're still working through how we can better um, handoff from an acute care setting to maybe a um, skilled nursing, a rehabilitation center, and then to our outpatient counterparts so that they have the understanding of what happened in that hospital set stay and vice versa. 
with the um, higher technology of the informatics and the EHR that's continuously being adapted, what do we know about this patient prior to them coming into our acute care settings? What do we know about this family? How are these patients learning and how are they embracing their disease state so that we can better provide that continuity of care? I think that's where we still continue to struggle from one building to the next, um, from one area of expertise to the other. But this is where nurse, the nurse navigators that Deb talked about come in, the care coordinators, and also those in our community that help address the continuous continuity of care that we want to provide. Does anyone have any questions of anything that I spoke about so far? Yeah, that was certainly a lot. Uh, and I definitely want to give Deb, usually I go to the next panelist, but Deb, do you want to react to this? Because a lot of this was very specific to uh, the both of yours, your field. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And um, uh, with Michelle, it's um, definitely coming up with innovative ways of trying to decrease um, readmissions, whether it's to ICU or even to inpatient care in general. Um, all of those things are really important. Um, and I think that we struggle a lot, especially when we're looking at especially if you're in the C-suite and um, you're looking at budgets and that good kind of stuff. And the challenge is to try to help uh, really promote or to support um, the data, support what, we, what can be done to improve the patient outcomes and patient safety um, at a price that, that uh, the C-suite's going to agree to and that's always a real challenge <laughs> do you have any insights on that as far as uh, michelle on on um, the financial aspect of it um yes and so um i was in a c i was in the c-suite and so number one um with the um with the nurse in the c-suite um that is the one person is the only one in the c-suite when you think of the chief financial officer and the chief executive officer it does have a license. <laughs> and exactly. so, that license, that, so that's a very important role. That license can be challenged. And um, what we would do is, you're, you're definitely right, Deb, about looking at data. Um, I was um, always looking at data. Data was given to me, but then the interpretation of that data. And so if you are decreasing, um, uh, you know, say a urinary tract infection, which decreases doesn't increase the length of stay of a patient, for example. Let's take something such as that. They don't go into sepsis or uh, we put things in place and protocols. Um, if I was able to show, and I usually was able to show, that whatever program I was bringing in was going to decrease um, this amount of um, urinary tract infections, and that would also subsequently reduce length of stay, okay, readmissions to ICUs or even coming back to the emergency department, which is a very costly endeavor, um, I was able to promote the programs that were very sound and evidence-based. And um, it wasn't always about adding staff, but it was about the facilitation of um, nursing at the bedside, understanding the evidence base, being part of the protocols, and being part of the surveillance and monitoring. Because once that culture of safety is in place, the staff are able to um, have autonomy and be empowered in their practice so that they're constantly monitoring and they, they don't want anything 
to go wrong with the patients. Um, you know, most of the costs within the C-suite are, you know, bed utilization, staffing, but when you really use the data um, to your um, credibility, and then you're able to bring in programs that will eliminate, they're they're, for the most part, okay, there usually is a support of that, particularly if it aligns with the goals and objectives of that hospital um, organization at that time. Okay. Well, there's definitely uh, not a lot of, uh, we have, you know, we have a chat going on here to coordinating everything. And it just said like, this is really nurse specific and we love that. And as always here on this platform, try to get perspectives from all angles. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit by getting uh, David's perspective here very soon. And before I call on David, though, I will remind everyone that this is indeed being recorded and made available as a podcast. You can go to healthcarespeakerseries.com and you can look at the previous episodes. You can listen to them and also look forward to finding this specific episode right now on there if you want to come back to it or even share it with someone later because LinkedIn as of now doesn't allow us or doesn't enable us to record this um, but we have of course special techie setup to make that happen uh, Andrea on stage and I we run and operate a healthcare marketing and PR agency out of San Antonio we have a lot of technology that we utilize so that's how we make that happen now, David, you are the doctor program liaison. You, of course, work very closely with Debra. You know her very well. And I, my question to you, David, is um, how do nurses and doctor liaisons work together to address patient complaints and concerns and ensure that patients are satisfied with their care? David? Oh, got to bring you up again. Uh, there you go. All right. Sorry about that. No problem. <laughs> okay. So I'm the uh, hairy-legged one on the panel today. So thanks for that, Shankar. Appreciate it. <laughs> um you know, it, it's interesting. I, I am the one that's that's on this today who I have no medical background. I have no medical degrees whatsoever. <clears throat> but from a kind of a street level view, dealing with employers and employees and dealing with people that are struggling um, um, with health care. I mean, I think most of my life, I always knew the, the nursing profession was the, the people that carried the water. And they did all the hard stuff. And I think for most of my life, I think that's pretty much what they were looked upon. And I, I'm not sure that they were really tapped into as such an incredible resource because I think we all know that um, they know more about what's going on with that patient than, than the doctor does. And, and I realize there's a structure and all of that. And I, I can't speak to any of that. I just I know that what I've seen the last few years in getting to know uh, Deborah Maldonado is now there seems to be an awakening in the profession to say, wait a minute, you know, the 
nursing profession has something important to say. We've got to put the brakes on. We've got to listen to them. We've got to trust them. And from where I sit, just on the street level, I'm seeing a, a paradigm shift of, of nurses being at the table for discussions that maybe years ago they were kind of on the outside and then whatever the guys, whoever they were sitting in the room would come out and say, this is what we're going to do. And immediately the nurses could say, that's never going to work. So I, uh, I am beginning to see that. I don't know if that's true being inside the nursing profession, but from a, a lay person on the outside looking in, um, I, I do see that happening, and it's exciting to me um, because I think a lot of new, fresh things are happening in healthcare, and I think a lot of that is because now the establishment, so to speak, is stopping. They're taking notice, and they're listening, and, and I think that's better for everyone. Thank you, David. Um, Deborah, do you want to react? Uh, sure. Um, in in talking about you know patient satisfaction, um, addressing any complaints or concerns, um, that is one thing that as a leader you always obviously are. It's always at the top of your to do list to make sure that uh, we have processes in place to help. Uh, first of all, um, gauge the satisfaction, patient satisfaction. I think that especially. Uh, uh, patients, they, they, when they go to a doctor, when they go to the hospital, I think they feel like, well, obviously if they have a, if they have a license, they know what they're doing. So all they have to gauge every, everything on is their experience. And so that experience translates to whether you're good or bad. <laughs> and I think it's important. Uh, and I know that almost all healthcare systems, we all have some form or fashion of, of, uh, of, um, creating or soliciting some uh, feedback from patients on a frequent basis. And as leaders, we analyze that information um, weekly. In my setting, we do this weekly, but at least monthly and look at trends and be able to address, you know, any areas of opportunity uh, to make sure that the patient's experience is one that's positive. It's hard enough sometimes just to get patients in the door when they're feeling well, they're not going to come, they don't want to come to the doctor, you know, and that's in itself a, a, a paradigm shift that I hope in the future we can, we can change where people um, engaged in their health care and not be reactive uh, and just come whenever they're feeling sick, but yet really come to, to look, to try to um, see where they're at with their health and be proactive and try to minimize some of those chronic diseases um, that have affected uh, many of us, especially during the pandemic. When it comes to concerns or complaints, those are things that need to be addressed immediately. And in most leadership, that's, there's a whole process that, you know, you, that we use in order to investigate, to collect data, to meet with people and to um, respond to it appropriately in addressing any any of those issues. You don't want to stick your head in the sand and hope that it goes away. You need to address it and address it quickly. Otherwise, you obviously impact the possibility of risk related to um, um, on a legal standpoint and, and, and further 
um, exacerbating the 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 issue. So um, I think that in patient satisfaction, um, there's uh, always a lot of opportunity, but you got to stay. You got to have your finger on the pulse to make sure that you're um, that you're doing the right thing um, for patients and uh, and for uh, patient outcomes. So. Um, thank you, David. Well, thank you, Deborah. I mean, uh, it's definitely a, a tough job for every healthcare professional to get us patients in there when we don't feel sick, we don't have any problems. I mean, I am the first one to admit whenever I feel I feel okay and there's nothing urgent. I mean, I have you all at uh, my fingertips and yet it is it is just difficult to make time for that or even have the awareness. So I definitely appreciate your words and I definitely want to make sure that I get my physical in now because you really uh, made me uh, realize that's important and you all work so hard to for us to stay and remain healthy. Um, yeah, I'm going to ask Kelly to speak soon here, but I'll give a reminder to our dear listeners that you will have the opportunity, if you wish so, uh, at the end when the panelists have spoken, you can raise your hand and then you can come on stage and share your perspective or ask a question or make a comment. So definitely we always look forward to that part of our program. Uh, Kelly, you represent a very important aspect in the continuum of of taking care of people and healthcare, and you work a lot, I believe, understanding how what you as a healthcare broker can do. So, how do healthcare brokers and nurses work together to ensure that patients receive appropriate and timely care? Hi, Shankar. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me here today. So I was a little struggling a bit with how I was going to um, have anything to to apply to this. But now that we've we've talked some more, I'm really kind of excited because brokers and nurses and maybe as a as an insurance agent um, and agency owner, we kind of think of things in two different ways. We think of things as traditional and we think of things as alternative. So in the alternative space, we're finding that with level and self-funded plan creation, that the involvement of medical managers, um, and these are nurses, much like Deborah said about um the process of the journey that they're developing for um, direct primary care. So when you put that in the top of a plan and you allow a nurse to work with the employees of a group plan and have them educate, have them monitor chronic condition, encourage them in healthy lifestyle. It does a it does a huge and it impacts hugely 
for the employer because by their interaction at the top of the at the top of the tier with those employees and giving them positive information and good information about their diagnosis and their disease and their care, then what they're doing is they're enabling and they're driving the cost of that care down because they're teaching people to be healthy and they're teaching um, them how to utilize their plan correctly. So instead of, you know, being scared all of a sudden when something happens and not know necessarily how to react, they're there to guide them to the proper care. They're there to guide them where they need to go. Don't rush to the emergency room. Come see us. You know, don't do this. Go here. You know, they're, they're able to do all of those things, which is just pretty incredible because in the the thought of transparency, they are opening that up. They're opening up the ability for places like direct primary care clinic to thrive um, in the DPC market. They're opening up the ability for self-funded and level-funded plans to really make sense because you can, you, you know, you're facilitating the savings of, of a lot of money for some companies. So I, I love the idea of what you guys do on that level. I think it's, it, it's amazing. First of all, nurses, I don't know um, how you guys do it, but things would fall apart without you. Like you're like the moms of the of the medical field. I feel like you you are the correctors. You are the you know figuring out how to make things work, people. And so my hat off to you guys. High five. I think it's awesome. Um, so that's how I interact and how we are able to interact with nurses in our industry. Yes. Thank you, Kelly. Was there, Deborah, did you want to react? Sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, I really appreciate working with, um, um, I, I do work with several of the TPAs for self-funded um, organizations where we have clinics inside their uh, companies. And uh, and so what we try to do is is really uh, come up with strategies that are, that are uh, specific to that workplace. Because you go from one, organization to another and you see a totally different workforce, uh, their needs, their um, their challenges when it comes to healthcare, et cetera. Um, one of the things that I have found um, in, in doing direct primary care is um, you can't cookie cutter anything. You really have to create a care journey, as I mentioned earlier uh, in our talk, <clears throat> that is very specific to that particular uh, patient. When you're trying to avoid emergency room uh, visits, uh, avoid urgent care visits, and, and really staying on top of what their needs are and, um, and being able to manage, really, not manage, partner, partner with the patient. Because if you don't get that patient in, involved, engaged, in their care, um, then it really makes it very difficult to make any headway with their diabetes or their obesity or their hypertension, whatever that may be. In the um, 
in the uh, program or in the um, the the infrastructure we're creating right now um, in our organization with um, with the care of our patients, the care journeys actually uh, are something that really is nice because we're able to invite into that care journey uh, people that that might be able to that that are part of the care of that patient. So for example, you have a gentleman that is working the warehouse. Um, he really could care less about his care, <laughs> but the wife, now she's someone you want to target. So we have so we find ways that to engage not just the patient but their their family, whoever that may be that might help uh, this employee be able to not forget to take his medicine, um, to be able to uh, come in when he needs to in order for us to uh, check up on him, um, be able to, uh, of course, uh, the spouse frequently is the one that cooks, you know, being able to cook the way that this patient, you know, uh, will benefit from as it relates to his uh, healthcare, chronic healthcare condition. So, uh, the 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 model that we're creating right now with our infrastructure and informatics allows us to be able to bring in other family members that can help us uh, can help the patient stay engaged, uh, and that's really not something that's that I've seen in the past um, with any form or fashion. Um, so we're. You know, we're we know that that makes a huge difference um, as it relates to savings. Um, we know that if we can stay on top of it, and and then we definitely can see the savings. And and the 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 problem has always been how do you measure? How do you measure the ability to to say I avoided this patient from going to the emergency room? I was able to avoid them going to the urgent care. So those things are really a challenge right now. We're trying to figure out how do we make that, how do we quantify that? How can you um, literally say, I, this didn't happen because we did this, so therefore we saved you this amount of money. You know, So those are some of the challenges that we have in this model as to how do we how do we reflect savings, um, except for maybe looking at, at past claims and, and, and uh, uh, hopefully seeing a trend downwards as it relates to those particular expenditures. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm, I'm, I really am enjoy working, especially with the TPAs that are, uh, help, uh, help us be able to um, quickly, if we have any referrals that need to go out, et cetera, then that's uh, something that they help us out a lot with in trying to get them as quickly as possible um, to the right place because they get exhausted with trying to figure out where am I supposed to go? What if it's my insurance going to pay for this at this place, but not that place, you know? And that disillusions patients from really seeking what they need to get done. So, what we try to do is navigate that for them. So, we wear a lot of different hats in this, obviously, in this setting to try to make. Uh, uh, meet the goal for that particular patient and see um, positive outcomes incrementally, but start seeing uh, positive outcomes. Deborah, it's it's just so refreshing to hear your passion and how much you care about all aspects. And I'm we're just all blessed to 
have you in our professional lives and also to know that we can rely on you and your organization uh, whenever we need help. Um, at this point, I do want to ask our audience who was waiting patiently. First of all, Shirley, Ka Kadia, Kayla, Huda, Timothy and Dr. Kelly, Michael, uh, thank you so much for having uh, spent your time with us. And I, I do want to ask you to raise your hand now if you if you happen to have a question. It is a, a good opportunity to come up and participate. Michael, welcome to stage. Any questions, comments, concerns, um, the floor is yours. And you need to click the unmute button first. It's the bottom on the lower right-hand side. Th thank you so much. I enjoy uh, the conversation. Um, absolutely a lot of great information um, around patient care. I just wanted to ask a question and, and make a comment. But the question was around um, where, where are you in the nursing field as it relates to... Um, precision medicine, or some may refer to it as personalized medicine. And um, in my work, I just noticed a gap in that, in the conversations between sometimes what's happening, you know, with all the great advances, and then it didn't seem to be like a lot of nurses in the room. And in the conversations, I was just wondering where, as a whole, as a healthcare system, in terms of that type of engagement. Well, I... I think that, um, um, as I think Michelle even brought out, uh, brought to the point that, you know, obviously nursing is part now of the C-suite. Um, early on, uh, that wasn't the case, uh, obviously, in the last two decades, you know, that, that's been even a Joint Commission requirement. Uh, because we do, like Michelle said, we have a license and uh we need to be able to really advocate for the patients. Um, so I think uh, I think sometimes um, it depends on on the nurse, uh, the leader, uh, and the ability for them to be able to communicate. Um, you know what what is needed in 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 managing the the care of patients, whether it's inpatient or outpatient. And a lot of it, it has to do with the willingness of, of the uh, organization to make, to allow the, those things to, to happen or to, for allow us to be able to do certain things. Um, finances is always a challenge. There's always budgets to be made. Um, and frequently, depending on the organization, um, that's either allowed or not allowed. And even if you've got some good points to make and some good outcomes and some good planning, et cetera. Um, you know, they, they, it's still a real challenge uh, to try to get things accomplished at, at times. Um, I think that as it relates to um, uh, patient care and, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, very specific to the patient, um, the care journeys that we do in, in at least in my setting, uh, very tailored to that to that particular patient. You you've got to be able to 
be able to make a difference. And, I, and what I found very interesting is that, well, not interesting in the sen- that sense, but refreshing, is the fact that when I worked in the hospital setting, that's when I got them when they already failed. They, they, they're sick. They're, you know, they didn't take their medication. They end up stroking, having a stroke. Whatever that may occur, they ended up in the hospital. So whatever happened on the outside didn't translate, uh, and so they end up in the hospital. Um, for the first time, I feel like we really can make a difference in the outpatient setting, but we've, we definitely need to be able to find a way that we can uh, tailor our, our plan for this, these patients and um, have the uh, opportunity to uh, make a difference in their, in their outcomes related to whatever their issues may be. Michelle, do you want to react? Sure. And I, that's, um, Michael, that is a great question. And, and um, many, many of the things that we've done in inpatient, it's really hard to talk about everything that we do from outpatient, inpatient as, as nursing leaders. But um, from the time I was in nursing, structures and everything always come to play and to fruition. But um, a lot of work done on relationship-based care models. And in the hospital setting, yes, some someone might have failed, but sometimes all in an aging population, at some point, there is a disease that's going to get you <laughs> at some point. And um, so the things that we've done in inpatient and acute care, and this is has been always following about, um, always falling on the track of the patient experience. But that patient experience is about how that how we've made that patient feel individualized, and that we understand even in the shortest time possible, whether it's a two day length of stay or it's a three day or a five day, understand the family and the needs of the patient, the family. So there's been a lot of strategy with team huddles, um, where nurses are you know giving explicit hand handoffs to each other um, from each shift. The other is that we have more and more involved the patient and the family in the handoff. So we've opened up visiting hours so that it's okay for a family member to come in early in the morning or hear report, um, team conferences. And the one thing to keep communication with the patient, we not just tell the patient what to do, questions in the beginning of our nursing assessments when we're admitting them to an acute care setting of what is their primary goal and what is their objective for this hospitalization? Um, and so then we try to meet that by having great handoffs and communication of, of care. The, the um, bringing of the whiteboard into the patient inpatient rooms and talking about their pain scale, who their physician is, who the attending is on, um, communicating at all lengths and extremities to these patients about what to expect in that hospitalization, but then asking them as well, you know, how many, when do you want to walk today? You have to walk three times, but when do you want to walk today? Those are the ways that we are constantly monitoring that model of care that's relationship-based and that is about what you're talking about, precision, but really getting to know the patient and not just having us healthcare providers come in and dictate what's happening. Does that answer your question for your acute care setting? Yeah, I think very much so, um, and and thank you all for sharing. And I, I do see a transition in care, uh, in particular as it relates to sickle cell disease. So I see a lot of changes in the in the overall nursing field, and it's having the direct and a 
kind of good impact sometimes on sickle cell patients. So thank you all. Thank you, Michael, for your great question and for joining us on stage. Um, do we have anyone else who wants to join, ask a question, make a comment? Now would be the time to raise your hand. I, w I remind you that there is the domain healthcarespeakerseries.com where, where you will find the recording of this episode. You can also go and re-listen to past episodes. It's definitely been a great conversation as always. And Deb, if uh, you ever get bored and want more podcast interaction, uh, you're always welcome to come back because uh, I just told Andrea, you are a natural talent here for audio events. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> um, there we go. So... Let's see, do I see any other reactions, hands? No? Okay, that's totally fine. I'm going to end us uh, with the idea that I want you to go and explore each other's profiles, connect with each other. This is an opportunity to network. Just because right at this moment there may not be a reason to talk to each other or collaborate with each other, that doesn't mean that um, there won't be anything in the future. Also, follow the people who spoke on stage. It takes a certain level of courage and um, the thing that you can do and that it is for free is give a follow. We call that social currency, right? So I'm going to end us with a song and we'll be back again um, next week i believe uh andrea will be the host we haven't found a guest speaker yet but if you know someone who has a powerful message in healthcare please let us know um that's it 